They are guides, all guides, and in unexpected places. You'll meet their friendly faces, and a ready hand besides. There's not much danger of finding you're a stranger for a commissioner or ranger. They are guides, all guides. Hi, and welcome to Guides Out, the unofficial guiding podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn. And I'm Marissa. In this episode, we are joined by our very first guest, uh, Leslie Ann, who prefers to go by L.A., is not only our first guest and co-guider, but she was also my Pathfinder leader when I was a youth member. We'll also be learning about Debbie Reynolds for She Was a Girl Guide You Know, the mother of former Girl Scout Carrie Fisher, who we covered in episode 14. And we'll finish the night with I Am One Voice, a very beautiful song that brings voices together and speaks to the feeling of unity amongst Girl Guides and Girl Scouts worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we'll start off by introducing our very first guest. I sort of already alluded to that. Um, her name is L.A., and she was, like I said, my Pathfinder leader when I was in guiding as a youth. Um, but she's got a ton of unique stories, funny stories, a lot of great experience to draw on. Um, and for guest episodes, we decided we're going to have some fun with it and sort of just do sort of a relaxed interview style. Um, (laughs) and of course, I think one of the first questions you usually ask somebody when you meet them in guiding is how did you get started in guiding? Uh, but I'll, maybe we'll, before you answer that question, I'll let you introduce yourself if there's anything you want to share about how long you've been in guiding. If you don't want to share that, you don't have to, but <laughs> any little um, fun tidbit. Thank you. Um, <laughs> my brownie enrollment card is dated 1974. Um, brownies then started at seven, and there were no sparks. So even though I think uh, Cubs started at that time at five, girls couldn't join anything until we were seven. I think Beavers, I think they're still at five, but uh, no, mm-hmm. until I was seven. Um, I actually became aware of Girl Guides when I was four. I was on my tricycle uh, on my driveway. I was not allowed on the road. I had to stay on the driveway. And this girl came down the street, one on one side, one on the other, carrying cardboard cases in each hand, wearing a blue uniform. And they just looked so tall and so confident, you know, marching right past me saying, hello, bonjour. I lived in Quebec. It was a cool neighborhood. They sauntered up to my front door, rang the bell, talked to my mother. And the next thing I know, there was a box of cookies in my home. So I had to ask my mother, you know, who these girls were and she said they're girl guides and that so that was the end of it when I was seven I went home from for school at lunch one day and just said to my mother everybody's joining brownies tonight I have to as well there was no you know question it was just this is what I am going to do and my mother usually had a tendency of saying no we can't afford it how are we going to get there we didn't have a car there was no public transit but for once my mother said yes and I had the name of the lady. I had when registration was, where <laughs> registration was. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the lady. I know it was a Polish name and it started with an S, had a lot of W's and K's in it <laughs> with a ski. My mother looked her up in the yellow pages, which for the youngins is how we used to look up phone numbers. Uh, it was a big fat book. My yeah. mother 
old and I ended up being registered for brownies that night. And as is typical with a lot of leaders, uh, my mother became my leader because there was you know, no space unless she did. <laughs> so not only did my mother teach at my school, she was my brownie leader. Yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it happens to, uh, to a lot of people. But no, I simply got started into it because I remember these girls coming down the street in their uniforms and they just looked so confident and so capable. And in all honesty, I looked at the sash full of brightly colored badges and I remember thinking, I want that. And I, I couldn't have told you why. It was just, I wanted to be part of something like that. So that's how I got started was basically I saw them selling cookies and all my friends were joining. So I had to. And uh, there was a whole group of us. It was a small community. So we all did brownies together. We all did guides together. And I was 12 in 1979 when they brought Pathfinders in. So I was fortunate to get in just right at the beginning <laughs> and follow it ever since. There's been a lot of changes, both good and bad. Um, but no, my, uh, I did Rangers once Pathfinders was finished. And I had moved provinces. Uh, my ranger unit got down to myself, one other girl, and a leader who didn't want to necessarily do anything. So unfortunately, my guiding career frizzled out midway through rangers. And at the mm -hmm. end of rangers, um, you know, I just kept doing school stuff. I graduated university and I wanted something to do. So I just figured... Yeah, I'll go back to Girl Guides. And I have been a leader in Waterloo since 1988, I think. 88 or 89, I think it's 88. So a very long time, uh, mm -hmm. many form changes. <laughs> when I started as an adult, I had a white shirt. Um, from then we went to the Alfred Sung ones. Did you guys yeah. have white stripes? Yes, that's uh, the uniform I went to Mexico in. Yeah. They, they were indestructible, those uniforms. They, you could spill anything on them and it washed right out. Yeah, and we we, uh, we knew the uniform change was coming, so we, borrow, we all borrowed shirts from either older sisters or moms or other people. Um, but, yeah, we, that's the uniform I traveled to Mexico in. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. It was Uniform. I really did like it. I was. It was a shame that they got rid of that one. Yeah. It was a nice look. I it hated it when I was fifteen and had to wear it. It was the worst thing ever. But looking back on it now, I appreciate it. You were recognizable though when you were yeah. traveling to Mexico as a group. Whereas now it's you don't know who the girl guides are anymore because there's no uniform. But that's a whole separate issue. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole, whole different episode that we yeah. will definitely be covering <laughs> at some point. Yeah, we don't I didn't need get, to do it now. No, no, I didn't get to the pleasure of wearing that one. Um, I was, I'm quite, I'm a few years younger than Taryn, and I think I remember when I joined Brownies, the uniform had just changed that year to the orange with blue capped uh t-shirt sleeve um but i think before i remember my mom had actually borrowed the brown dress from a friend of hers because she i was going up into brownies 
and I thought I don't I don't think I thought fondly of it because I, I wasn't super into dresses at that age but um, and then when I saw of course everyone else was wearing like the the t-shirt and the you could get a skirt or the navy the navy skirt or the navy pants um, I definitely wanted to blend in with everyone else I did not want to stand out but I wish I had I wonder if we kept it I don't think we did I think we gave it back but um would have been cool to have yeah, I yeah. uniforms change. Yeah, I did brownies in the dress. I think I did started guides in the dress. I'm not sure I finished guides in the dress, but I definitely. I had the, the collots. I had mm-hmm. collots and guides and the dress. Those, and those look cool. I've looked up pictures of the people have been sharing the collot photos, and I was like, "Ooh, I actually don't mind these. These look kind of cool." Well, it looked like a skirt, but you could actually yeah. sit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I really like that sweatshirt. Somebody on one of the Canadian Guiding Facebook pages um, was selling this shirt. It's like a big navy blue sweatshirt with the red maple leaf, the old stylized maple leaf, and it's it's so beautiful. And I I hope that the Girl Guide store will maybe bring back a like vintage version of it or something, just like <laughs> they've brought back this blue ringer tee with the old logo. I would love for yeah. them to bring back that maple leaf one. I thought that looked really cool. Yeah, that shirt you're wearing now was the old camp uniform. Ah, I shirt. like it. We wore blue and white gingham. Mm. <laughs> For old photos of that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you talked about what got you started in guiding and all your adventures, at, or some of your adventures as a kid. Um, but what has kept you in guiding as an adult and as a leader? I like being busy. And I like being able to give something back to the community. I don't want to just sit on my backside and take. I want to be able to give something back. And guiding for me is doing that. I feel part of not just the guiding community, but part of the Waterloo Region community because we do so much community service. It just keeps me connected in a way I think people outside guiding don't have. And I just like being part of something like that, being able to help, to teach, to mentor. I, it's just and something innate. I think that all of us lifers, you know, the three of us all have. Mm-hmm. It's just we want to be able to mentor. And it's not something necessarily you can put your finger on and say why. It's just something you have to do. And when it's not there, you just, you miss. You miss the giggles. You miss the snorts. You miss the, you know, the laughter. You miss the expressions on the kids' faces when they realize, look what I just did. You know, the spark who put a piece of cheese between two pieces of bread and suddenly she's made a sandwich. You know, (laughs) Not something that other people, other than maybe teachers, can really appreciate, but it's just something simple as just wanting to give back. Guiding gave me more than I feel I can ever give back. Guiding gave me confidence. I am innately an introvert. I am innately insecure. Uh, I suffered from depression on and off since I was a teenager. Guiding for me has always been a safe place to go. 
it's always been a safe place to try something. And it's been a bully-free zone most of the time. I'm not saying the organization's perfect, but it's certainly been safer than workplaces or uh, schools. So mm-hmm. I think that's a convoluted answer, but <laughs> it, that's what really would keep me coming back is all of that combined. And it just one more fun. Yep. I yeah. can definitely resonate with all of those. I think especially <laughs> the whole... I also went through a period of my life where I was not really in guiding. I was registered to keep my membership years, but I wasn't active at all. I was in university and I didn't do anything. And I had tried a little bit to join a unit, but uh, wasn't successful. And at the end, when I graduated, I thought I need to go back. Like I I, I miss it. I miss the camping, especially, but Mm -hmm. I miss the community. I miss being able to talk to other guiders who get it. Um, Yes. So as soon as I moved back, I remember I reached out to, I think both of you on, on your Facebook page or something somewhere. I was like, yeah, yeah. Do you guys need leaders? And you're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so by all means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can always use more guiders. Always. Um, it was one of the things that definitely made moving to Waterloo so much easier is I, I think I'm not sure if I told the story on the podcast before, but one of the first people I told about my job was Tina. And I sent her a Facebook message being like, so do you need any more Pathfinder leaders in your unit out in KW? She was like, yes, always. Why? It's like, oh, I, you know, got a job. I'm starting, you know, in two and a half weeks. Um, I need to figure out somewhere to like move and stay and everything. She's like, yeah, definitely. Um, you can stay here for like a week or so till you find something a little bit more, you know, long-term, um, come over, have dinner before the meeting. If you get here on time, um, this is where we meet. I'll see you, you know, next Tuesday or whatever it was. Um, And, like, it just, like, I moved to a new community, um, starting a new job, and, like, having guiding right there. Like, I already had a community to just kind of slide into and have people, like, watch my back and, like, make sure I, you know, find a decent place to stay and, like, learn all the best restaurants and, you know, all that super important things when you move to a new town and can be difficult if you don't have anybody looking out for you it is definitely an asset to have like it's it's so so I don't know if useful is the right word but no matter where you go in the world you can probably find a girl guide or a girl scout and like you said it's like an automatic form of trust you have yes. with that person mm-hmm. and that can be so helpful and I also think about like moving to a new city and like I am also very introverted and especially in new surroundings and that to me is so appealing to have that instant community and you can just reach out and people will welcome you with open arms and point you in the right direction for anything and it is amazing yeah there's the guider in st jacobs i think uh, marissa you may follow her on uh, facebook as well as me um her daughter what is up in thunder bay And there was this frantic phone call to her mother from Thunder Bay 
Lakehead University, Mom, I need a PFD in 45 minutes. What do I do? The store was all closed. I left mine in St. Jacob's. Her mother got on Facebook on the Girl Guide groups, posted this is what's happened. 15 minutes later, she had a guider say, I'll drive it over right now. You know, that's the kind of activity that guiders will do. It's just yeah. help. I'm there. Yeah. And it's just it's something that we just automatically do. We don't even have to think about. You need, I'll help. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Huge aspect of guiding, I think, along with that, yeah, that sisterhood. It's lifelong. Yeah, there's a reason it's, why. Yeah, it's, it's incredible to see people reach out. Yeah, very true. Yeah. It's what, the last point of the law now? You think the we sisterhood of guiding? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You would think we know our law. Share in the sisterhood of guiding is basically what that last line says. Yeah. Wow. Which is very broad, and you can take it however you want to, but there's a lot of aspects to it. So one of the things is sharing your resources with all your sisters, sharing your wisdom, mm-hmm. your knowledge, sharing just in the fact that you're in a community together, no matter where you go in the world, too. Um, yeah, because even if you take that PFD example and you bring it to a global scale, if you have, if you know anybody or you know someone who knows someone who lives say in England or in Africa or somewhere um, and you have a connection already, you have a place to, you have a place to go, a place to stay if you needed to. Like I Mm -hmm. have friends, guiding friends in BC and uh, Newfoundland and in Thunder Bay and it would be so easy and they also know other guiders in other locations and it's like a quick like snap of your fingers and you've got help if you need it and if you're traveling abroad it's even more amazing because then if you're stuck for a place to stay or your accommodations fall through or you just want to know where to go you've got really good tips and you don't have to go onto like Yelp to find reviews you can just ask someone in guiding and it's it's just that like level of trust and understanding mm-hmm. you just it's a really good resource and yeah one of the it's so unique that way I don't think there's any other organization other than Boy Scouts that you can really trust and depend on people and it's a world worth of people yeah and over 150 countries around the world like guiding is everywhere um speaking of which we should totally do an episode on international guiding or guiding around the world Mm -hmm. i'll add it to my list (laughs) it's every episode there's a new idea and it's like yes we have to add it that's that's a good thing though (laughs) i keep a piece of paper beside jake's computer just for this so maybe switching gears a little bit and getting into like the stories and the funny things um We've given you time to hopefully you've thought of something, but can you describe your funniest guiding story using only five words? Cake in an orange, raccoon. Ooh. Uh, I can picture it very clearly. <laughs> I, I wasn't even there. I just, <laughs> I can just picture it. Spending most of my life in the GTA, I have an interesting relationship with raccoons. Mm. Um, Well, it was one of those, we were doing cake in an orange, and uh, we'd made the cake batter, 
And for some reason, it was sitting on the table while we all turned to the fire to look at something. And then we turned back and there was a raccoon helping herself, just scooping out the cake batter and just <laughs> lapping it up. And it was a case of, okay, do we have any more? Because you're not touching that. <laughs> yeah. I have a lovely raccoon of her, you know, fat and happy. <laughs> just licking up all of our cake batter. She preferred the vanilla over the chocolate. Mm. Was the chocolate um, just plain chocolate? It didn't have orange yes. in it. It was just oh, okay. Yeah, because you yeah. know you make the cake, you scoop out your orange, and then you pour your cake batter in it yeah. in foil and bake it. Well, the fire was you know lovely. The coals were perfect, and the raccoon ate our cake batter. Did you have extra cake batter? <laughs> yes. The girls get their orange cake. Yes. Yes. And uh, we did post a guard with a flashlight at the picnic table. <laughs> she you know, was not impressed that that was her job, but it was a case of you're the loudest. Guess what? It can job. either be your job or you don't get cake. Mm -hmm. And I would rather have a cruddy job guarding over the cake than not have cake. Mm -hmm. um, that's much more entertaining than my raccoon story. Um, during the big blackout in 2001, 2002, whenever that was, um, I was sitting in the hot tub at my parents' place, hanging out. My uncle was over because he also had no power. And we were looking up at the stars, marveling at them, and a raccoon tried to climb into the hot tub with us. <laughs> okay, that's a little... Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ooh. Did it need a bath or was it looking to wash its hands? We don't know. And like we tried to like make noise and like scared away. And like my mom was sitting like beside the hot dog knot in it with the three of us. And like she stood up and like stomped. And the raccoon just was ignoring all of it and just wanted to get in the hot tub with us. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's funny because. I think it's more about where you live. The raccoons are definitely more people-friendly. And mm -hmm. sometimes, depending on where you camp, they can also be very people-friendly and will, like LA's mug, uh, sorry, cake story, cake batter, um, they're, they're willing to go up behind your back. They don't care that you're there. And yeah, uh, yeah some places more than others they're much more friendly and other places you can scare them off. All right. But yeah, I remember several camping experiences where they're sort of just hiding on the edge of your campsite in the dark, waiting for you to ignore them and they'll, they'll come right on and get what they can. Yeah. We've had them in the back of a leader's vehicle, helping themselves to marshmallows, grabbed the whole bag and just ran and yep. the empty bag the next morning. Hmm. Found three other empty marshmallow bags. <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of diabetic raccoons wandering around the pinery. Yep. Well, that means they won't be around for much longer. Although, <laughs> suffer horrible, horrible deaths. Growing in Toronto means I really don't like raccoons. I'm very much yeah. over them. They are a nuisance. Um, yep. 
you know, Toronto, where the raccoons are smart enough to open the raccoon-proof green bins. In what? It was less than 30 seconds or so? It was really funny. Um, it took them, like, two or three months to learn how to do it, and they can do it in, like, a minute or something. It's insane. But, yeah. They quarter of a million dollars to, you know, make these green bins that are raccoon-proof and need to be, you know... Use a like opposable thumb to turn a handle. Um, and it needs to be like just tipped at the right angle, so it would automatically open. And I can figure it out in a couple months. Part of not surprising. But, yeah, it's all part of their plan for world domination. Yeah, they've already dominated Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> um. Getting back onto guiding and away from <laughs> awful, awful animals. Uh, what's your proudest achievement in guiding? I would have to say just looking at the number of girls who stayed with guiding and what they've all become. You know, there's a lot of them who've gone on to become doctors or nurses or engineers, and they've been able to do that while staying in guiding. And I think those are very powerful role models. So I think my proudest would have to be looking at the girls themselves, what they've become and what they are looking to share themselves. You know, there's these little guiding ripples that are just keep flowing around the world. Um, that would be my proudest, I think. You know, I obviously I don't keep track of every single girl, but with the internet, it's certainly easy to cyberstalk them once in a while, make sure everybody is still okay. Um, it's amazing and guiding how many of them do focus on the people jobs, the, the doctors, the nurses, the teaching, the, you know, something to do with people rather than I'm just going to go work in a, a factory. How many girls come out just focused on giving something? It, uh, it's a, Feature broadcast for the two of you. Just look and see if there's any stats anywhere on how many, because I think most of the NASA female astronauts were Girl Scouts. So it'd be interesting just to see what the correlation is. But no, mm -hmm. I say just that would be my personal one is just looking at how many of them stay in guiding uh, as leaders. Yep. There's I often see them like scrolling even just through the guiding Facebook pages I see some that I was in guiding with or were younger than me or older than me and I just know really well and yeah seeing the things that they're doing and the um what they're now contributing back to the community by saying like oh I'm you know this is my background in education and I'd be willing to do a virtual zoom with your sparks or your brownies or whoever mm -hmm. um and yeah that is really cool to see and it's I know LA and I have had many car rides where we talk about the former girls who were in my unit or even yeah. other girls. And yeah, it is amazing to see what everyone goes off to do and where they go. And um, yep. Very cool. Yeah. I must have something to do with like how back to a couple episodes ago where we talked about values, the values of guiding mm -hmm. of, you know, service and helping others um, and, you know, giving back to your community and how much that impacts future career choices, especially 
at the point where girls are in Pathfinders or Rangers. Like, it's, you know, no longer really your parents are saying you're doing it. Like, by the time yeah. you're Pathfinders and Rangers, it's the girl's choice. It, the girl decides it's important to her to continue. And that definitely, you know, will have ripple effects to their life post-guiding if they don't continue as a leader they chose to continue at least up until they left for university or college Mm -hmm. or whatever post-secondary aspirations they have yeah i think i would argue that pathfinders and rangers are the most critical point in the Mm -hmm. life cycle of a girl guide that those those branches if you stick with them especially when it's later pathfinder and then most of rangers um if you stick with it that long or you even rejoin if you take a gap in between if you come back that is how the leaders are born i think Mm -hmm. i think leaders maybe not necessarily realize it at guide or brownie or spark age i certainly didn't um, but when you come back or when you join, maybe as your first time as a Pathfinder at that age, it's definitely the point where you come to that realization of what benefits you're getting out of it and how, how it's changed you. Yeah. Um, Sparks, Brownies, Guides is more of a, a starting point and definitely more an excitement about the excitement of what you're doing and I guess about the activities and just sparking that imagination and that sort of idea of going on and Mm -hmm. uh, I know when I was also that in that younger age group I looked up to the girls in Pathfinders and Rangers and aspired to get to that level thinking like I just look up to them they look they look like they're having a lot of fun they look like you know they do really cool things and that's what I want to do so I definitely had that dream early on to get to that level and um, I don't know if I knew then if I would actually get that far, but I did. It's not like it's a, a grading system. It's not like you have to pass any tests to get to that level of guiding, but it's it's still, it's, you know, am I going to be able to hold on that long? Am I going to be able to find units all the way along? And will I have time when I get that old? Um, yeah, because, of course, yes. you're so old now. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's funny, like how you look back on it and you think, yeah, I, like I never saw myself as a leader when I was a guide. It was in Pathfinders and Rangers when I realized like, yeah, I could be a guide, a, a leader. And that's because that's when your confidence just starts right. to expand exponentially because yeah. guiding is safe and you learn mm-hmm. on hand. Yeah. yeah. Um, it also helps that as a Pathfinder Ranger, that tends to be when girls start becoming um, junior leaders and working with younger mm-hmm. girls and like honing those leadership skills um, that so many people don't think are learned skills, but like I definitely had no clue what I was doing when I was in Pathfinders and Rangers and like my first couple years working um, as a guider was very much, you know, let me, you know, look at, other guiders what they're doing um just having that safe space to learn and make mistakes and do better yep i'm definitely even just more confident three years later from when i first joined the pathfinder unit as a leader to now i definitely did not like the idea of standing in front of these teenage girls and trying to lead something but um 
I've, yeah, I've looked at the leaders who've come through our unit, even mm-hmm. through the past few years. And I thought, yeah, you know what, I'm taking inspiration from each one of them and learning. And mm-hmm. that's how you add to your leadership skills. I um, just last Sunday, I was did a virtual session with the link members um, across Canada, they held they're holding sessions once a month. And it was leadership It was about leadership. And Again, first of all, when we went into our breakout sessions, it was like an instant connection. It was so easy to talk to them, even though I get a little intimidated in those situations and things like, oh, gosh, I hate introducing myself. I hate talking to new people mm-hmm. in that sense. Like, I sometimes don't know what to say. But it was instant, and you I was at ease with sharing things that I wouldn't necessarily share with other people. So, But we talked about leadership and um yeah, it's interesting how everyone approaches it differently and you can learn so much by looking at the guiders around you and yeah, just applying. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, I didn't realize you. that those sessions started last weekend. I thought they started next weekend. I mentioned join. Yeah, it was last, last Sunday. First oh, Sunday of every month. If there's any link members in Canada out there, um, first session first Sunday of every month at I think 4 p.m. Eastern time they do a session that will help you build towards your link program um, which is something I really want to try to earn those badges before I turn 30 so we'll work on them together I have like six months left maybe a little (laughs) bit longer not much longer left um because like we said and was pointed out to us again the other week badges are like pokemon cards and you need to catch them all or collect them all um yeah 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 i can't say as i've heard them described as pokemon cards but i do like that one yeah (laughs) Um, it's okay i'm looking at a giant stack of baseball cards here too I had a Pathfinder once, and uh, I was warned by her guide leaders. She's she's mean. She she made her guide unit cry because of some of the things she said. In those case of okay, thank you for the warning. So first year Pathfinders, you know, you have this, that, and the other to do. I don't have to do it. I'm not coming back next year. Okay, mm-hmm. but next year this is this year. Get your stuff done. And next year, she came back for a second year. I'm not coming back this year. I don't have to do whatever. Okay, it's still this year, and you still have to light the match, tie a knot, whatever. She made it to third year. I'm not coming back next year. No, that's because you're a third-year Pathfinder now, honey. (laughs) She ended up coming back to Pathfinders as a junior leader. There were some leadership issues we had permission for her to come back. So she was actually in Rangers and a junior leader with us. We had a girl in the group home and uh, there were some issues with the girl in the group home. We did take her to camp and I asked our junior leader to share a tent with her and a couple of the third years just to keep the girl calm and happy and peaceful. And our junior leader did a phenomenal job with her. She really came out she was helpful sunday i drove her home and you know how huffy teenage girls can get so i got the hip thrust and the 
Do you know what it feels like to have your morals come out of my mouth? Uh, oh, you listened. Okay. <laughs> That's why we do this. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know if what you're saying is even going through their head at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Junior leader is now a ranger leader in Toronto. Wow. She that was incredible. <laughs> but it was just the hip thrust and the do you know what it feels like? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, those are really cool moments to have. I yeah, think. they are. And I did say to her afterwards, you know, I'm impressed that you said that to me because mm-hmm. I know how hard it would have been for you to admit that. So mm-hmm. thank you. And we just, we moved on. It was like, there was no point in rubbing her nose in it. It That would just be mean. It was just, we had our moment and we moved on. Yep. Yeah. And the girl in the group home had a fantastic year. Yeah, that is, that's, yeah, exactly what you said. That's why you stay in guiding and that's why you do what you do. And you don't mm-hmm. get to hear a lot of it. You don't get to hear a lot of feedback and you don't necessarily even get to see any. But when you do, it definitely resonates with you and mm-hmm. makes you want to keep trying, keep going. I know when I yeah. did that meeting a couple of weeks ago with our Pathfinders, we went out into the uptown area and we did a little bit of a history walk and I was unsure how many girls would enjoy it. And I wasn't sure how they felt at the end of the night. And then I think it was the next day I got an email from one of the girl's parents saying thank you because her girl had enjoyed it so much and could not stop talking about what she had learned. And that just was incredible to hear. I was like, I didn't even think any of them would hold on to the information, let alone enjoy it. So, mm-hmm. oh, good. Which yeah, one was that? That was Violet, and oh, I knew good. ahead of time she likes history, so it sort of helped. But even when I asked again this past week, and I asked them, well, you know, how many of you guys actually enjoyed what we did last week? I think it's important to figure out that so we don't have to, you know, do something for it they think might be boring again. But um, a lot of hands went up. And I was actually very surprised. So, yeah, it, getting little bits of feedback like that can help you so much boost your confidence as a leader, especially yes. if you're starting out young like I am. It's it's a big, big help. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and one of our last questions for you, LA, is what is the biggest lesson you've learned from guiding? It's a safe place to try anything and guiding will support you. I am aquaphobic, but I have my Orca threes Mm -hmm. because the guiders and the girls encouraged me to go get it. So I think the biggest lesson would be it's a safe place to try and it's a safe place to fail. Mm. We've all been there. We've all done that. We've all had camps and meetings that went Yeah. So it's a it happens. And that's what we tell our pathfinders when it's their turn to plan a meeting. Things are going to go wrong. It's okay. Have a plan B. Have a plan C if needed. And biggest lesson, life goes on. And just, you can laugh about it later. Right now, you may just need a hug. And that's perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I had to redo my gold camp because I 
failed, didn't pass the first time I did it. I had to redo parts of it. I don't have to redo the whole weekend. I ended up redoing the whole weekend with a new group. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't realize how much work something's going to be and you mess up or under plan or under prepare. And, you know, it's totally fine to do that as long as you learn from it and do better next time. And, you know, it's a great place to learn to shrug off failures and take those lessons and just move on and not ruminate on them too much or at least ruminate on the negative aspects of what didn't go right but mm. you know take those lessons and learn and you know and move on yeah, yeah. you don't need to just sit and wallow mm -hmm. yeah you could do it's better the very next time yeah mm -hmm. it's a very supportive safe place i definitely agree with that and like you said, it's you feel safe to fail, even though yes. you might even know going into it that you're going to fail because you just underprepared, like Taryn said, and you you don't have all the things in place, but you know there are people around you who will help you and um, support you and, yeah, basically say, you know, there's always another time and it's okay to fail, even as an adult. It happens. Oh, frequently. <laughs> all the time. And... Yeah, I think back to that chocolate meeting I ran, and I definitely did not leave enough time to make the mug cakes. And I was like, oh, man, but now I know for next time, you got to start earlier, especially yeah. if you have a kitchen that is equipped with one microwave that does not work very well. Uh, well, technically, it's it has two microwaves, only one of which works. <laughs> yeah, and not not that well anyway. But yeah, there's, you know, little things, big things, all sorts of things. And but it's also good for the girls to see us fail. Mm -hmm. they see us fail, it's therefore okay for them to do that. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful yeah. lesson in itself. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit I last what week. It was. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's good to show them your weaknesses as well, and and yes. share, talk about how you have those weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean you have all the answers and it's okay to Rely say on I each other don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we all have our strengths and weaknesses and together between the five pathfinder leaders this year you know yeah. we're able to do everything but you know one of us alone definitely could not do it And That's what they say. There's no I in team. Exactly. Um, so this week, because we have a lovely guest, we let her pick our She Was a Girl Guide, you know. And L.A. picked the wonderful Gabby Reynolds. Nancy Reagan, Helen Hayes, Jan Davis, Jean Sauvé, Carrie Fisher, William Sister, Shirley Temple Black. Tammy Duckworth, Kathy Frost, Candace Bergen, Lucille Ball, Debbie Reynolds, Princess Margaret, Hillary Clinton. Did you know she was a girl guide? Busting down the door a hundred years or more. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know she was a guide, you know. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know. One, she was a lifelong Girl Scout. And she was not shy about stating that. But uh, I sent you both the, the link. She mm -hmm. has 
really nice quote, um, and I'll just read it to you here. But you and I know that the fun, the games, the adventures are only a means in Girl Scouting, a means to the most important end. These are the tools we use to help girls grow into happy and resourceful citizens. This doesn't happen in a day or in a year, or maybe not even in two or three. For that reason, Girl Scouting should be a special ingredient in the lives of girls, seven through 17, and it can. That's why I'm a Girl Scout leader. And something I wish parents could see because, you know, they'll put the kid in soccer and they learn how to defend or kick a ball better. They don't really see the, the benefits of guiding in the year or two. Sometimes it takes three. Yes. I really like that quote from her. And there was another really silly one. Um, one of her movies, she was when she was starting out, she was asked, you know, can you, I can't even remember what it was, but it was, can you do such and such? And she said, yes, I learned how in Girl Scouts. Uh, yeah, yeah, Girl Scouts and Girl Guides are pretty, they're multidimensional and they have a lot of skills in their pockets when they leave um, or when they go through. They don't necessarily always leave, but it's mm -hmm. a very good quote. I agree. Yeah, and as we go through a little bit more of her history and her biography, it'll come, become clear how she definitely took guiding um, with her wherever she went. Um, from maybe not the day she was born, but from pretty young. Um, she was born April 1st, 1932 in El Paso, Texas, to Minnie Herman and Ray Reynolds. Um, uh, Minnie was a lawn, uh, washwoman, a laundry washer, um, and Ray worked for, um, the South Pacific Railroad as a carpenter, um, and she had an older brother, though, I couldn't, uh, find his name, um, and, uh, growing up in the Depression-era United States, um, they didn't always have a ton of money but they always had something to eat. Um, and she's quoted, even if dad had to go to the desert and shoot jackrabbits. Um, and then she's also said, one of the advantages of having, be having been poor is that you learn to appreciate good fortune and the value of a dollar. And poverty holds no fear for you because you know you've gone through it and you can do it again. But we were a happy family and a religious one. And I'm trying to induct that into my children, the same sense of values and the same home my mother gave me. Um, and she definitely did um, instill those same values in uh, both her kids, um, Carrie Fisher and Todd Fisher. Um, when she was still fairly young, the family moved to Burbank, California, um, and she had a fairly typical childhood. Um, nothing really of note until she entered a beauty pageant when she was 16 and won it. Um, and that's how she was, or how she caught the eye of both Warner Brothers and WMG, or sorry, MGM, um, the movie companies, um, and ended up winning a Warner Brothers contract um, due to a flip of a coin between Warner Brothers and MGM. Um, they both wanted her so badly, and they couldn't decide who was going to take her. 
So they flipped a coin. Um, and even though she had won the beauty pageant and was on her way to being a movie star, um, boys in the high school she attended never really found her attractive. Um, she was cute, but sort of tomboyish. Um, and the quote goes on to say and talk about how, you know, she was fine, you know, going and fixing a car or hanging out with her dad. She didn't, you know, always dress up in dresses like the other girls. Um, so she was contracted with WB or Warner Brothers for about two years. Um, and then Warner Brothers kind of stopped producing uh, movie musicals. So she switched over to MGM. Um, her song, Abba Dabba Honeymoon from Two Weeks with Love, uh, was the first soundtrack recording to become a top of the chart gold record um, album reaching number three on the Billboard charts, um, rocketing her up um, to fandom, uh, mostly because of the success of yeah, or Abba Dabba Honeymoon. Uh, she was given the co-starring role in Singing in the Rain, um, which I've never seen, but have been told it's a fantastic movie. Um, and the other co-star in that movie was Gene Kelly, um, who is quoted, or who Carrie Fisher is quoted saying that he made me a star. I was 18 and he taught me how to dance and to work hard and be dedicated. Um, so, you know, she was young, but had a phenomenal mentor right there to help her along. Uh, she continued acting in movies and had a little bit of a um, stage career, um, but was, ended up being nominated for Best Actress in her role in the Unsinkable Molly Brown in 1964, where the director originally didn't even want her for the role and believed that she wouldn't be a good fit. However, after a few weeks into the production, he changed her his mind and went to her and said, sorry, and you're better than my first choice for the role. Um, that same year, she also starred in Goodbye, Charlie. Um, she slowly left the uh, big screen and went to the TV screen, where in 1970, um, she made headlines for standing here grand when it came to cigarette advertising on her weekly show on NBC. She was strongly against uh, NBC airing the uh, cigarette commercial, but NBC um, stood their ground and said they couldn't pull one commercial during just one show, um, and that the commercial is too profitable to pull from the network all together. And after a year, she ended up leaving the uh, show and um, came to the expense of an estimated $2 million to her um, for leaving the contract and leaving the show. Um, so definitely stood her ground with that. A um, couple years later, she ended up having a starring role in Hanna-Barbera, in the Hanna-Barbera musical, Charlotte's Web. Um, Hanna-Barbera um, still makes 
ton of great cartoons. Um, and yeah. Uh, she also had a successful TV um, career in her later, later life, um, being a recurring guest star on Will and Grace and The Rugrats. Um, somewhere in all of this, because, you know, she had to keep herself super busy, like every actress we've covered on the show, um, she would, for every three months, for about 10 years, I couldn't find the dates where this happened, but she headlined a show in Vegas, um, and although she enjoyed it, she found that type of performing extremely strenuous, um, doing two shows a day seven nights a week. And part of that Vegas show, she was known for doing impressions of Mae West, Barbara Streisand, Phyllis Diller, and Betty Davis. Um, she also was a French horn player um, in her free time. And Jean Kelly, who was a lifelong friend and mentor said that there were times when Debbie, Debbie was more interested in playing the French horn somewhere in San, in the San, San Fernando Valley or attending a Girl Scout meeting. She didn't realize she was a movie star all of a sudden. So there's Girl Scouts coming up again in the plot or in her life. Um, she made her uh, Broadway debut in 1973 in the show Irene. And when she was asked why she wanted to be on Broadway, she responded, primarily because I had two children growing up. I could make movies and recordings in plays nearby Las Vegas and ha handle a television series without being away from them. Now they're on their way to being adults and that, and there's also the matter of being offered a show that I felt I might be right, that might be right for me. I felt that Irene was it and now was the right time. Um, so, busy, did TV and music and movies and Broadway, um, and was all over the place for most of her life, um, even through three different marriages. Um, so, her first marriage was to Eddie Fisher, um, and they were married from 1955 to 1959. Um, and she had both her children with Eddie. Carrie Fisher was born in 1956, and Todd Fisher was born two years later in 1958. Um, a couple years after her uh, marriage with Eddie Fisher ended, she got married to Harry Carl, um, a local millionaire, and they were married from 1960 to 1973. And during this time, um, even though Carrie Fisher was a movie star and famous, she took time every week to be a scout leader for um, both Carrie and her stepdaughter, Tina, who were both 13 and in the same troop. Um, and she made time, she would leave whatever she was doing early Fridays so she could go be a leader and spend time with her daughters. Um, and then her third marriage 
was to Richard Hamlet, a real estate developer. Um, and they were married from 1984 to 1996. Um, and Carrie Fisher, sorry, Debbie Reynolds, unfortunately died the day after her daughter, Carrie Fisher, died. Um, so Carrie Fisher died December 27th, nine, or 2016. Um, and Debbie Reynolds was taken to the hospital after a stroke. Um, suffering a stroke the next day and declared dead on December 28th, 2016. Um, and her son, Todd, has been quoted saying, um, it wasn't necessarily of a broken heart. Well, that was part of it. Um, the two were close and they couldn't imagine not being together and spending that time together. Um, that is a very quick overview of Debbie Reynolds' life. Um, definitely a wonderful woman who scouting was at the core of who she was and definitely made time for her even when, you know, she had all the reasons in the world that she didn't have to, um, being who she was and the name that she was. Um, yeah, spending that time being a mother and a leader to her uh, two daughters, or her daughter and her stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. It sort of goes back to that, what we were talking about earlier, and how, like, you just get drawn back into it. And if you, yeah, if you went through the Girl Scout or the Girl Guide levels, the branches, wherever you are, um, you you just feel that pull to come back and you don't necessarily get in her case she wasn't you know the fame didn't change her in that sense you know mm -hmm. she felt like she could still give back and still be a part of that and that that was a like she's quoted as saying like la said earlier she thought it was a very valuable thing for girls to experience and that's yeah it's a very unique thing to hear you don't really ever hear celebrities still continuing to be a part of it you often hear about the fact that they were girl scouts or girl guides when they were younger but mm -hmm. still being involved in it later is not as common with the celebrities yeah well sometimes hear of like they attended an event or like helped design and like create a badge or a crest but not being an actor of leader and being actively involved uh once they make it big mm -hmm. uh, yeah and uh unless la you have anything else to add about the wonderful debbie reynolds um no. we can go to our campfire song this week We are ten voices, we are singing. We are ten voices, we are singing. We are ten voices, we are singing. We are not alone. 
campfire song for this week is i have one voice oh no i am one voice sorry um also known as one voice and this was la's choice as well um and one that i also very much love um just we'll ask you then why i know why you chose it but let's share with um everyone who's listening why that song was the one that you chose I think it's one that goes across guiding internationally. It's not a Canadian Girl Guide song. It's not an American Girl Guide song. It's a World Guide song. And this particular version um, that you've got the link to here on my notes is one that the uh, Libyan Girl Guides put out this past spring, and they did it virtually. And then somebody tied it all together, and it's really just a beautiful version. Um, I love the fact that they've got um, somebody signing in it as well as singing. But to me, it's just a, so a song that is worldwide, not uniquely Canadian. That's mm -hmm. fine. And it's beautiful. And I can't sing, so you know, I really do appreciate <laughs> to somebody who can. Yeah, it's, it is a very beautiful song. I remember hearing it, um, this version, uh, done by... Um, they are called on the YouTube channel Guy du Liban, and Liban is actually Lebanon. Um, I looked it up just before to make sure. And yeah, it was making the rounds back in April. Um, it was published to YouTube on April 14th, 2020. And it was sort of just after, it was about a month after, I think almost exactly since like the pandemic had basically taken hold of the world and lockdown was in place and everyone was wondering what they were going to do and people were of course trying to find ways to entertain themselves and girl guides and girl scouts who of course are very resourceful and are often the ones to keep things positive and keep things light in these times um had a response and it was of course the lebanon girl guides who sang this song and yeah, everyone loved it. And it is a very beautiful rendition of the song. I, I loved it. And we will share the links so that everyone can listen to it if you have not already heard it. But yeah, amazing. And um, I know I had heard the song before, but I couldn't remember where it was from. But having it sort of come back up and make the, the headlines of these Facebook pages, it was really nice. Um, Originally, though, the song was written by someone that, by, who goes by the name of Don Eaton. Um, he is a nationally acclaimed singer-songwriter, recording artist. He's also a lecturer and a seminar leader. And he has developed a reputation for very powerful lyric-oriented music, so very unique to his style. Um, he's also known for being inspiring and giving practical compassion-based education classes, seminars, and retreats. So it sort of goes hand in hand with his, his lyrics, I think, especially with the song. If you 
think about the lyrics saying I am one voice and then going into we are two voices, we are a hundred voices, that whole group camaraderie aspect of it, you can see how easily that would tie back to having seminars and retreats about, you know, compassion and leadership and things like that. So a very good fit. Um, he, over his career, released four albums, all full of original songs, um, and was touring nationwide as both a concert artist, um, a workshop leader, and a guest lecturer and teacher. So he had a lot of skills in his back pocket. I think speaking publicly was probably the biggest one there, and his talent um, in the music. His song, though, this song, I Am One Voice, received national attention when a lady by the name of Suzanne Summers introduced it on the Oprah Winfrey show. Um, and the talk show sort of used that song as a vehicle to launch the song as a national sort of anthem for the adult children of alcoholics, which Suzanne was a chairperson for. So she sort of had her own interests in mind when she was doing it. Um, but yeah, now it's a song sung by various groups across the world. Um, you hear it often by girl guides who have adopted the song. It just goes so well with our values and our ideals. And it's beautiful and really picks up on that whole sisterhood of guiding. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a great song. Um, I think I've heard this version of it. Um, but it's definitely a song that I've heard throughout the years, mostly at like international events and like jamborees. Um, not so much, you know, weekend camps or uh, unit camps. Uh, it's a great song. Thanks, LA, for picking it. You're welcome. Um, and I guess that brings us to the end of another episode. Um, as always, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts, um, and YouTube, uh, wherever you find us, make sure you give us a five-star rating and a review to let us know that you're listening and enjoying. You can also follow us on social media. We're at GuidesOwn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure you follow to keep up to date on the newest episodes, any podcast news, and like always, those behind the scene bits. We'll share, of course, that link to the song because it's an amazing song. Mm -hmm. And as we part, um, we, as always, we wish you all good guiding. Good guiding. Day is done, gone the sun, from the lake, from the hills. From the sky, all is well, safely rest, peace is nigh.